You're listening to a podcast by New Heights Church. We hope you're encouraged to glorify, grow, and go. So this morning we are closing out the book of Genesis. Um, We have been in this book all year, and we have now come to chapters 49 and 50. And, you know, it's been a journey. Um, If you think back to the beginning of Genesis, Genesis, as you know, is the first book in the Bible, and it's a creation narrative. And so Genesis is um, a birth story in a way. So it's the birth story of um, not just the people of God, but of the earth, of the cosmos, of everything that we see and know um, in this in this world and what was and is to come was created in the beginning of the book of Genesis. And then we start to meet some characters. So we meet Adam and Eve, and we know that things go awry after sin enters through them into the, in the garden. And so sin, by way of Adam and Eve, is part of our story as well. We meet Noah and read of the flood, and then we meet Abram, who becomes Abraham and his wife Sarah. And from Abraham, God makes a covenant with him and his wife, Sarah, and he says, I promise you offspring. But his covenant with Abraham was twofold. He promised Abraham a people, so a family that would be great, a nation to come, and a place, not just a people, but a place, somewhere that they could dwell that would be the place of the Lord. And so we'll start to see a glimpse of that in the text today. And as you read through the rest of the Old Testament, you know and see um, that that is something that does come to pass in the book of Joshua. And if you're part of our women's Bible study here, we've been going through the book of Joshua this year, and um, we're getting ready to finish that up in the next couple weeks. And the parallels are um, really cool to see how Genesis ends, and then you fast forward just a few books later and see how the Lord brought a lot of these promises to fruition in the the book of Joshua as well. So as we begin to end the beginning of the Bible, um, we see that coming to an end of Genesis um, is really just the beginning of the story of God's people in the Old Testament. So let's look at uh, chapter 49, and we don't have this on the screens this morning, so I'll try to remember to call out where we are in the text um, so you can follow along with me. So if you have your Bibles, um, turn them on or turn to the page um, in Genesis chapter 49. Starting in verse one. Then Jacob called to his sons and said, gather yourselves together that I may tell you what shall happen to you in the days to come. Assemble and listen, O sons of Jacob. Listen to Israel, your father. And so here what's happening is Jacob has gathered his 12 sons to bless and to prophesy over them. Now we've been for the last few weeks talking about Joseph and his story, so it felt like Yay, we're finally done with Jacob because he did a lot of sketchy things and was not the best character to read about in Genesis. I mean, I don't know about y'all, but he's not my favorite. Um, but now he comes back. It's like, we're getting ready to end. Like, we thought we were done with Jacob, but now he, he comes back. And he's this old man who gathers his sons together, his family, as he's about to die, and he wants to bless them. And so this blessing is more than just like parting words from a father. This was customary um, for, for the Israelites and for like in the ancient Near East um, for them to hand down a blessing to their sons. And this was more like a prophecy um, for them. And we know that Jacob, um, as imperfect as he was, was chosen by God and used by God and his particular family in order to usher something in to the world. And so we see here that as he's gathering his 12 sons, he has some things to 
say to them. Um, you hear the word blessing, and we that carries a, a positive connotation, like to bless someone is a great thing, a good thing. Um, but as Jacob blesses and offers this blessing to his sons, um, it's not always favorable. So as we read through these next few verses, we'll see that some sons received some great prophetic blessings and others some not so favorable. So there's four points this morning, a blessed legacy, a cursed legacy, a holy legacy, and a hopeful promise. So as we're ending here, we're talking about what it means to carry a legacy handed down, not just from generations, but from the Lord. So let's start a blessed legacy. So here in chapter 49, Jacob has some really promising things to say about seven of his 12 sons. So not all of them get a great blessing. And most significantly, Joseph and Judah, they receive some hefty blessings from their father. We're going to talk about them a little later. Um, For this first point, let's just look at the five sons that Jacob offered a short blessing to in chapter 49. So first, let's look at Zebulun. This is in verse 13. Zebulun shall dwell at the shore of the sea. He shall become a haven for ships, and his border shall be at Sidon. So in the book of Joshua, like I mentioned earlier, um, the Israelites, are, they, they've come into the land of Canaan, and they're starting to inhabit the land. This is a place that they are going to live. And so we know that the sons of Jacob that we're reading about here, eventually, when the nation is large, um, become tribes. So we have the 12 tribes of Israel. And so each tribe has their own allotment and place to live in the land. And so Zebulun here, Jacob mentioned that his land or his people's land that he'll receive in the in the promised land will be on the shores but when we read in Joshua um, the borders and the place that Zebulun receives is actually landlocked so it makes you wonder um, was Jacob's prophecy incorrect was he lying I mean that would be characteristic of Jacob honestly Um, but that's not what happened here so the New Testament actually sheds a light on this um, this thing that doesn't quite make sense. So in Matthew 4, 13, it says, "'And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum "'by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali.'" So Zebulun's territory from the time of their allotment in the book of Joshua to the New Testament likely expanded. So they've expanded a bit. And so by the time we get to the New Testament, it turns out the shores of Zebulun are actually where Jesus would call his first disciples. So that's a little interesting tidbit about this first son who receives a blessing. So let's look at the next one, Dan, in verse 16. Dan shall judge his people as one of the tribes of Israel. Dan shall be a serpent in the way, a viper by the path that bites the horse's heels so that his rider falls backward. I wait for your salvation, O Lord. So as you'll notice as we read through these, the language is very poetic. And so sometimes we don't always know what Jacob means. And that's a bit purposeful because um, in poetic language and literature, especially in the Hebrew, it's meant to draw our attention to something greater or to something further. And so with Dan, his name quite literally means judge. And so when Jacob says in verse 16, Dan shall judge his people as one of the tribes of Israel, He's probably referring to some sort of government leadership or diplomacy that Dan and his tribe would later take up in the nation. But but let's look at verse 18. So here at the end of this blessing for Dan, what does Jacob say? Jacob says, I wait for your salvation, O Lord. 
Jacob wasn't someone who was characterized as a patient man. If you think of his story in the book of Genesis, um, when he and his brother Esau, they were twins, as they were in their mother's womb, he was quite literally in utero fighting with his brother. We have um, that like verse that they were wrestling together in her womb, which sounds absolutely terrible. Um, but from the get-go, from the very beginning, Jacob was trying to usurp someone. First it was his brother, and later it becomes other people. And so he wasn't a man known for patience or for waiting well. He stole his brother's birthright later. He was impatient in marrying Rachel and Leah and working for their father Laban. But I think what we see here now at the very end of his life as he's handing these prophetic blessings to his sons, he says, I will wait. Not just I will wait for something. He says, I will wait for your salvation, O Lord. So in this verse, I think we see a glimpse of how far Jacob has come. His character arc has truly gone from villain to saint, as we've seen, we've seen with many characters in this story. I mean, the title of this sermon series is Saints and Villains, because there's a little bit of both in all of these characters. Um, and unfortunately, there's a little bit of both in us as well. So let's look at Gad, verse 19. This is a short one. The next few are short. Raiders shall raid Gad, but he shall raid at their heels. <laughs> that's it. It's like, that's all you got for me, Dad? Um, raiders shall raid. <laughs> so how is this good? How do we read this and think this is a positive prophetic blessing? Well, it's the last part of that um, that gives us the positivity when it says he shall raid at their heels. So he may be attacked and raided, but even amid hardship, Gad and his people will be resilient to fight against that. So next is Asher, verse 20. This is my favorite one. Asher's food shall be rich, and he shall yield royal delicacies. And that's it for Asher. Um, so Asher, apparently, and his tribe will have the best food. You know, we're coming up on Thanksgiving, um, and I think, I think you guys know, this is a little unspoken, but when you're invited to the family member's house that you know is like the good cook of the family, you're excited to go to that Thanksgiving dinner. When you have to go to the family's house or the friend's house that you're like, I don't know. I don't know about those mashed potatoes or that pumpkin pie or the turkey's always dry and too salty over there. Um, that was not Asher. Asher was the brother that everyone wanted to be invited to his dinner party because the food shall be rich. They had royal delicacies. Um, and then that was it for, for Asher. So let's move on to Naphtali. That was an easy one. It's like not really a curse, uh, not really a huge blessing, but like, hey, you're gonna have good food. So let's look at Naphtali, verse 21. Naphtali is a doe let loose that bears beautiful fawns. And that's it for Naphtali. So this verse is actually a little difficult to understand when we translate it back to Hebrew because um, when we translate to Hebrew, this verse reads, Naphtali is a doe let loose, which is not a great time you know, to be a doe let loose in uh, West Virginia at this time. Um, Naphtali is a doe let loose that bears beautiful words. So our translation says fawns, but when we translate back to the Hebrew, um, that word is quite literally, words. And so the translation that we have is a play on words a bit for us to, to give us a little more poetic imagery to see that Naphtali's words um, were as peaceful, and their action following their words were as peaceful as a baby deer or a fawn. And so they would later, the tribe of Naphtali would later in the story be known for diplomacy and peaceful relations with others rather than brute force. 
And so I think that it's calls to pause and think um, about our words. Are they gentle and reflective and accessible? Are they harsh and brutal? I think we all have a little bit of all of that at different times. Um, but we have the opportunity every single day, um, almost moment by moment, to choose wise and generous words that lift others up rather than tear them down. And so these five brothers who received short blessings from their father that were favorable, um, they aren't just thoughtful words from a father who wanted to bless a few of his kids. Because if that were so, then it wouldn't make sense. Because here in just a minute, we're going to read about the sons who had a not-so-favorable blessing. So why would Jacob offer this to these sons and offer a curse or a negative blessing to the other sons? Well, we have to remember that these are not just words from a father. They're directives from the Lord. And that's clear because Jacob later says some not great things about his sons, even some of his favorite sons um, or favorite son that he had in his younger years. So Zebulun, Dan, Gad, Asher, and Naphtali, who received these positive blessings, we know in the story of Genesis that they weren't hero characters. So they were all culpable in selling their brother Joseph into slavery, like almost nearly giving him a death sentence. So it's not that they did wonderful things to be able to receive this wonderful prophetic future blessing. It came to them by way of grace and grace alone. And I think that this, um, this is something when we're talking about this idea of legacy and what it means to live faithful lives and especially live faithful lives with future generations in mind, I think that this should um, remind us that we have the ability to not only do and, and act in ways that are favorable for our children or our children's children or future generations, um, but we can pray that over them as well. So we're actually gonna stop here for a moment and pray. And I know we've got kiddos in the room. It's not easy, um, you know, I, trust me, I have little ones. I know that, that times like this are difficult, so just know that it's, it's not a big deal at all. Um, but we're gonna pause here to pray, and I want you to specifically pray for your children, for your grandchildren, for those in your care who you are a mother, a sister, an aunt to, um, because we all have generations coming behind us that need those prayers. And so let's pause to pray. God, thank you for the young ones here this morning. God, thank you for those who are wise um, beyond our years who lead us and teach us and care for us and pray for us. Thank you for the prayers of my mother and grandmother and generations before me who prayed for me without knowing me. And Lord, I pray for my children and their children and their children's children that Lord, one day that this blessed legacy that you've placed on your people, on your daughters would be handed down to our children and those to come behind us as well. So Lord, as we are here this morning, praising you, worshiping you, learning about you, Lord, I thank you for the legacy of grace and mercy you've extended to us. And I pray that for generations to come in our church and in our families. And it's in your name, Jesus. Amen. So let's move on and look at those who were cursed. Wah, wah. So most of us don't really want to curse our children, at least not all the time. Um, so it seems strange that Jacob would bless some of his sons and then offer less than ideal prophecies for the others. So we think, like, is it favoritism? That would be a bit characteristic of Jacob, but no, God had a clear purpose in this. So let's look at the ones who received less than ideal blessings from their father. 
starting with Reuben, and this is back in verse three. Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might, and the first fruits of my strength, preeminent in dignity and preeminent in power. Unstable is water, you shall not have preeminence, because you wept up to your you went up to your father's bed, then you defiled it. He went up to my couch. So if you look at the text in uh, chapter 49, you'll see that Reuben is actually first. So Reuben is the oldest, and his blessing or cursed blessing comes first. And what a way to start, right? <laughs> All these sons are gathered around like, let's hear what God has to say, or let's hear what dad has to say. And then Reuben comes first, and he's called unstable as water. It starts off strong with words like mighty, strong, dignity, power. And then Jacob says he's unstable as water. So he's hard to contain. Think of holding water in your hands. It's just going to fall right out rather than holding it in a cup. So there's instability there with Reuben. And we know that Reuben had actually slept with Jacob's wife, Bilhah. Um, so he defiled his father and his family in that way, and particularly because of that action, he lost the rights of the firstborn. So he lost the birthright of the family. So it's clear that his past sin in this instance had consequences. So let's move on to look at Simeon and Levi in verses five and seven. Simeon and Levi are brothers, weapons of violence and are their swords. Let my soul come not into their counsel. All, O oh my glory, be not joined to their company. For in their anger they killed men, and in their willfulness they hamstrung oxen. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce, and their wrath, for it is cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. So it just keeps getting worse for these guys. So Simeon is actually in the, the remainder of the Old Testament. Simeon and his people are often referred to as the lost tribe by theologians because they eventually receive a land allotment in the land of Canaan within the allotment of Judah. So they don't actually receive their very own land. And then by the time we get to the end of Deuteronomy, Moses is um, remembering like calling out blessings for the people of Israel and Simeon and his tribe are not even mentioned at that point. So it's as if they just became extinct. And so Levi, as these two are coupled together, Levi wasn't allotted land in the book of Joshua at all. So they received some cities to dwell in, but they don't have a specific land to dwell, dwell in as well. They were to live among the tribes and among the people. And so here, Jacob's prophecy we see of scattering them throughout Israel is fulfilled in the book of Joshua because they don't have their own place to dwell in the land of Canaan. And remember about these brothers, um, they were the, the ring leaders, like a few chapters back, the ring leaders of the massacre at Shechem. Remember their brother Dinah, who was defiled? They were avenging her, but their, their vengeance was disproportionate to what it should have been. And so because of the mass murder that they, um, that they created there at Shechem, their past sin again finds them out in a way that holds consequences. So next, let's look at Isaacar. Verse 14. Isaacar is a strong donkey crouching between the sheepfolds. He saw that a resting place was good and that the land was pleasant. So he bowed his shoulder to bear and became a servant at forced labor. And so the donkey that's mentioned here in that first verse, it doesn't represent royalty. It represents a curse and hardship of work. So work that's really laborious and difficult. And then Next is mentioned rest. 
um, for Isaacar. And, you know, we think of rest, especially in the story of the Bible, rest is actually a good thing. We're called to rest. It says that Isaacar and his people saw a resting place was good. Um, but that is, in this instance, not good but because what it means is he saw a resting place was good, so he just stopped working. So rest is good, but we know it goes hand in hand with the good work that the Lord has called us to do. So finally, um, for the last cursed blessing, let's look at Benjamin in verse 27. Benjamin is a ravenous wolf in the morning devouring the prey and at evening dividing the spoil. So this is a little um, surprising, you know, coming from Jacob, having a cursed blessing to his son, Benjamin. Benjamin was the baby of the family, the youngest, um, and he was one of the sons by Jacob's beloved wife, Rachel. Um, But he receives a a cursed blessing, a future that's not favorable, um, that he's a ravenous wolf. So what this likely means, it speaks to his ruthlessness or and his descendants' ruthlessness in battle and in leadership. And so why would Jacob hand out curses to only five of his 12 sons, knowing that all 12 were imperfect? Even Joseph, we love Joseph, and we're gonna talk about him next, but he was human just as we are human, um, and they were all imperfect. So why do some receive favorable future blessing and others not so much? Well, I think it, it serves as a healthy reminder for us that not all of us come from blessing and privilege. Many of us have um, generational harm that we carry on our backs every day, whether it was by our doing or not. Often the injustice that we face, especially from a young age, is not because of anything that we've done, anything that we would ever choose. Um, So for these sons to receive a bit of a consequence for their sin, um, John Calvin puts it this way, the temporal punishments with, with, with which Jacob mildly and paternally corrected his sons would not subvert the covenant of grace on which the benediction was founded but rather obliterating their stains would restore them to the original degree of honor from which they had fallen so that at least they should be patriarchs among the people of God. So did you get that? The, the, the sons that received a less than ideal future had a future all the same. Just because they received a blessing from their father that wasn't as great as some of the other sons, they were still part of Jacob's family. They were still part of the family of God. And so it serves as a reminder for us that regardless of our past sin or even future misfortune, that we are still part of God's family, just as these sons were still part of Jacob's family. And, you know, we have examples all throughout Scripture of these particular tribes who had a cursed blessing of some good that came from these tribes. So um, from Issachar came men who were wise and understanding. We read about that in 1 Chronicles 12, 32. And then the Levites, who had a less than favorable blessing with their brother Simeon, the Levites were actually priests. And so they administered sacrifices on behalf of the Israelites and oversaw worship in the land of Israel. And then Barnabas, as we read about in the New Testament, Barnabas was a preacher in, um, that we read about in the New Testament. He was a Levite, so he was from the tribe of Levi, and most notably the apostle Paul. Uh, Paul, that we read about in the New Testament was from the tribe of Benjamin. So we see throughout the story of scripture that even from these cursed blessings, God clearly used people from these tribes for his good and for his glory. And so the same can be said of us. Your background, your trauma, your family history, your past mistakes, they do not get the final word in defining you 
or your family, or your children, or your grandchildren, or those within your care that you love and pray for. So here again, we're gonna stop and pray. We're gonna pray for our kids again, but repent for ways that we may have caused them misfortune, whether intentional or unintentional. Ask the Lord for grace and mercy on their behalf, and also pray and thank the Lord for the ways that he has brought you from what your past may have been, and recognize that it is by his grace and mercy alone that we are here. So let's pray. God, thank you for, um, for these women who are just graciously um, sitting under your word this morning. Lord, I pray over our children and our children's children and those to come um, that what we do here and now, that you would remind us it matters um, to them and really for eternity. So Lord, I ask that you would forgive us for ways that we have failed, for the ways that we will continue to fail. Remind us that we parent and shepherd and love those around us by grace because we have been extended grace and mercy as well. And for the women, um, for those of us who carry around um, hardship and trauma that has been passed down from generation to generation, Lord, I pray that you would stop that in this generation, that it would not continue to be passed down for those to come, that for those that will, will know us, um, and will speak our name, that it will be spoken in the same vein as your praise, Lord. It's in your name, Jesus. Amen. So moving on, let's look at a holy legacy. So we're going to talk about Joseph. Joseph is one of the only characters in the whole book of Genesis that's portrayed in a positive light. And that's intentional because it clearly makes him a type of Christ. Reading about Joseph's story should point our minds and hearts forward to someone who is even better than Joseph. So let's look at verse 22. This is Joseph's blessing from his father, Jacob. Joseph is a fruitful bow, a fruitful bow by a spring. His branches run over the wall. The archers bitterly attacked him, shot at him, and harassed him severely. Yet his bow remained unmoved. His arms were made agile by the hands of the mighty one of Jacob. From there is the shepherd, the stone of Israel. By the God of your father, who will help you, by the Almighty, who will bless you with blessings of heaven above, blessings of the deep that crouches beneath, blessings of the breasts and of the womb. The blessings of your father are mighty beyond the blessings of my parents, up to the bounties of the everlasting hills. May they be on the head of Joseph and on the brow of him who is set apart from his brothers. So here, Joseph clearly has the most favorable blessing from his father. Not only is it one of the longest, but every piece of it is, is just good. Like it keeps getting better and better for him. And we know in Joseph's story that he suffered injustice in many circumstances. A lot of the, like most of the time that we read and the instances we have of him, of bad things happening to Joseph, it was because of actions done against him by other people. And so Jacob mentions that in his blessing to Joseph. He attributes Joseph's saving specifically to the shepherd. So he mentions the shepherd, and we know that shepherd well too. The shepherd is our savior. So the same shepherd that saved Joseph from the pit when his brothers sold him into slavery, from um, the, the bounds that he was in in Egypt when he was in prison, for all of the things that continue to happen to Joseph. Jacob here now attributes his saving to the Lord, to Christ. He does that for us too. 
He saved us from the pit of our shame and sin and despair only to then what? To bless us abundantly more than we ever imagined. And Jacob also mentions here at the end of this blessing for Joseph that these blessings be placed on the head of Joseph. And that's symbolic. That symbolizes a crown so that he receives a crown of blessing. Peter writes about this in the New Testament. 1 Peter 5, 4 says, And when the chief shepherd, there's our shepherd, the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. And so just as Joseph received his crown of blessing and provision and grace from the chief shepherd, so will we, by grace and grace alone. So as we move into chapter 50, Jacob dies spoiler alert, um, he, he dies after blessing his sons. And in the first few verses of chapter 50, we have this lengthy description of a funeral uh, procession. And like they, they um, spend a lot of time embalming Jacob because they're in Egypt and Joseph wants to do that um, for his father and his family. And then they have this um, specific time set aside for public grieving. And as I was reading this, it made me think of... Um, when government officials like high-ranking, important people uh, die and they get to lie in state in the Capitol uh, building, that's similar to like what we're seeing here, like this public display of grieving. You know, we watch that on the news when that happens with um, a government official or someone important. And so Jacob actually receives this kind of treatment in Israel, um, or I'm sorry, in Egypt. Um, and for an Israelite, for his family, that he would receive this prominent public display of grief is interesting because when we turn the page, and we're not going to, but if we were to turn the page to move into Exodus, we would see that many years have passed and the people of God are now enslaved in Egypt. And so just generations before, Jacob and his family were given prominence in the land. Joseph was respected and this great leader in Egypt, and things changed drastically generations later. So as Jacob dies, he's blessed his sons. Um, some have received some good fortune, others some not so great fortune, but they're still a family. They're still you know, part of, of God's plan, and they're hopeful to what is to come. So when we get to the end, when Jacob dies, it feels like this would be a great place to stop. Like this would be a great place to wrap it all up and everyone just kind of like moves into the next part of the story. But in verse 15, Jacob's brothers, I'm sorry, Joseph's brothers, we got a lot of J names here. Joseph, Jacob, Joshua. I'm surprised that that's the first time I did that. Um, so as Jacob dies, Joseph's brothers, so Jacob's other sons, they just can't help but be sketchy, okay? They, it's like they're so close to making it out of here. Um, but in verse 15, we read of them trying to maneuver their way into some favor with their brother Joseph. So let's look at 15, and this is in chapter 50. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, forgive, please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil against you. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. 
Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and for your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. So here, Joseph's brothers, after their father dies, he, they, they come to him trying to selfishly protect themselves because now they're afraid, oh, Joseph is definitely gonna remember what we did to him all those years ago. And now that dad is gone, he's probably gonna treat us poorly. But what does Joseph do? He still responds with kindness and holiness. And here it would have been easy for Joseph to yell, I told you so to his brothers when they bowed down to him because do you remember what happened in chapter 37? So in chapter 37, Joseph has this dream. He's a young boy. He dreams that his brothers will bow down to him. And that's part of the reason why they hated him so much. This is, this is part of the reason they even sold him into slavery in the first place. So here, that prophecy comes true. They bow down before him. They acted in fear and sold him into slavery, nearly killing him. But Joseph continues to walk in wisdom and holiness. And why is that? It's because he's walking with the Lord. That's his legacy. That's why when we read these pages and hear Joseph's story, that we think of Jesus, we're meant to because he's a type of Christ. His story is meant to point our eyes forward to see, um, to see Christ in all that he does and all that he saves and offers blessing and the holy ways that he acts towards those who are unjust on his behalf. We see the gospel clearly displayed in Joseph's legacy. And I think it begs the question, will it be seen in yours? Will it be seen in mine? That in, in my legacy, if um, years from now, um, after I'm gone, generations from now, if my name is uttered, I hope and pray that it is only in the same vein as praise to the Lord. Psalm 102, 18 puts it this way. These are beautiful words. Let this be recorded for a generation to come so that people yet to be created may praise the Lord. People yet to be created that we may never know. Let it be said of us that they will praise the Lord because of things that we did here and now. You can affect those who come after you. Whether you have children or not, you're standing in a building that yes, it is just a building. We know this, we've said this for years and years and years in our church, it's just a building. But it is a bit of an Ebenezer stone as well, don't you think? Like we see these walls that you've painted, um, the toys that you organized, the floors that you've cleaned, the windows that you've cleaned, the chairs that y'all put out, the stage that's half ready and built that you guys have worked on. Um, all of this, in a way, is shepherding the next generation. Like, we're standing in a room that I hope to see my kids baptized in one day. That's important. That's what we're talking about. That's the legacy that we're leaving for generations to come. If the Lord has it for our kids that they would grow up here, that they would get married here if God has that for them. We've seen that happen. Um, you know, in the 10 years of our church, watching y'all's kids grow up, 
Um, it's just beautiful. Like we get to be part of that. You get to be part of that. Whether you have your own children that you're bringing or not, whether you have grown children who may not come to church with you that you don't get to see, whatever, whatever that looks like, you have a family here. We are God's family. In our, um, in our family, we often do catechisms with the kids just to help them remember things about God. And one of the catechisms we ask, it's a question and response. And the question is, um, what is the church? The answer to that is the church is God's family. Because we are a part of this family, we have a job to do in the legacy that we leave those who come behind us. So as we end, let's look at Judah, a hopeful promise. And so the book of Genesis ends with hope. In 24 and 25, Joseph is dying. Um, He dies and he leaves his brothers and his family with hope. He says to them, you will eventually leave Egypt a place of famine, um, a place that is not their own, a foreign land, and they will eventually be placed in the promised land. So let's look at, we're going to go back to verse, uh, to chapter 49 and look at Judah's blessing because this is a messianic blessing from their father. Verse 8 of chapter 49, Judah, your brothers shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's cub. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He stooped down. He crouched as a lion and as a lioness. Who dares rouse him? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples, binding his foal to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine. He's washed his garments in wine and his vesture in the blood of grapes. His eyes are darker than wine and his teeth whiter than milk. And so although Joseph received the heaviest blessing from his father, the family birthright actually goes to Judah. So Judah is the fourth son of Jacob, but because of the sins of the first three, Judah receives a birthright. And in this blessing, um, there are some interesting points. In verse, verse 8, is mentioned all tribes would bow down to Judah and his people. Verse 9, he's compared to a lion. Um, in verse 10, a scepter is mentioned, and that represents kingship. A donkey, wine, and blood are all mentioned in verse 11. And so everything about Judah's blessing directs us forward to a great king to come. And we know from the line of Judah comes King David. And so David is prophesied to be um, the king of Judah. But in David, when David becomes king, um, it's, he's, he's a great king. He fails in a lot of ways, but he is known as a man after God's own heart. And so he's a great king, but he's prophesied um, to not be an eternal king. We knew that he was a carnal man. He was a person. Um, but in his prophet, pr- prophecy to be king, in 2 Samuel uh, chapter 7, this is what is said of the one to come after David in the tribe of Judah. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. So David is the king in the line of Judah, prophesied here, but David is not the king that will last forever. John Calvin mentions it this way, Christ has not been only promised, but his origin had been pointed out as with a finger 2,000 years before he appeared. Christ is all over every page of the Old Testament, the New Testament, from beginning to end. All scripture points toward our everlasting hope and rest found in Christ. So as we end this morning, 
Um, I wanna remind you that your legacy matters, not because you are the most important person here, but because God loves you and chose you. These brothers were chosen by God, not because they did great things. We know they didn't. I mean, Jacob, my goodness, like why did he get to be the one to carry on the blessing and hand it down to his sons? But I think that if we really look at our lives, we might ask the same question, why us? But it's because the Lord loves us. He called us his people and he's calling us to a place just as he did with Abraham, just as he did with the Israelites. We are God's people. We dwell here but for a time. And one day we will dwell in the place of final and perfect rest. So as I end, let's look at Revelation. To go from Genesis to Revelation um, will give us this picture of what it means to start and finish well. So in Genesis chapter five, verses three. And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And then verse nine says, and they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain. Christ, you were slain because you are worthy. And by your blood, you ransomed people for God from every tribe and every language and people and nation and you have made them a kingdom. He has made you, sisters, a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. God, thank you for just the beauty of your word. Thank you for the faithfulness of men and women in this church who have come before us, for those who will come after us. God, I pray that our legacy is one that speaks to you and you alone, that this building would be used for your glory, that although it's beautiful and we're excited, it's imperfect, Lord, I pray that you would use our imperfect facilities and our imperfect lives to point to you, that our legacy would be one that points to you and you alone. So God, thank you for this time this morning. Thank you for our sisters, our church mothers, our church aunties, all of us to be together to worship you. And Lord, I pray that you are glorified in all that we say and do. It's in your holy name, Jesus. Amen. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. To learn more about New Heights Church or a relationship with Christ, please visit our website at www.newheightswv.com.